Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Justin Peters program, but the voice you're hearing is not Justin Peters. I don't have that handsome southern drawl that Justin has. Instead, I am Jim Osman. I am uh, one of the teaching pastors at Kootenai Community Church, where Justin attends. And today, I'm kind of hijacking the radio program instead of Justin. And uh, Justin is going to be my guest, not to be interviewed about his book, but about uh, we're going to talk about another book, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And uh, so, Justin, welcome to your own program. Thank you, Tim. It's an honor to be here, man. <laughs> but it is. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're, we're starting a series of, of programs, and this is not going to be an un- uninterrupted series, but we're going to do this occasionally, uh, record a little program like this. We're just going to drop it into Justin's rotation. And uh, we're going to do programs of, of book reviews. So we're going to start doing theological book reviews or book reviews, reviews of books that Justin and I or Justin or I have read. And uh, and this will be just intended to, we could take any kind of book. We could do uh, wacky books, winging books, uh, novels, theological books, books on economics, history, the Civil War, any subject that we want to cover. And the we're going to... The Civil War? Sorry. I digress. The, the War Northern Aggression. Sorry. <laughs> that was a habit right there. I almost got out of the habit of saying that in your presence. <laughs> But we're going to uh, we're going to take books that we have read or one of us has read, and, and we're going to uh, review them, give you kind of an overview of the book, and then have a, a theological discussion back and forth about some of the things that we see in the book and concerns that we have with the book, and talk about pluses and negatives. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be books that we would have concerns with. We could rec- we could uh, do a Justin Peters book or or a John MacArthur book or any any book that we want. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So the book today is Experiencing God, and Justin, before the program today, before we started recording, said that he doesn't really remember too much from the book or a whole lot from the book. You do; It's been a while since you went through it, so yeah. it's not like the whole content and gist of the book is right fresh in your consciousness. So I'm going to kind of introduce the book right now. I'm going to fire some quotations at you, and then you and I can react to some of the things that we see in the book. Okay? Right. Experiencing enough. God with Henry Blackaby. Now, you've said that that book is... Uh, probably had, did more for mainstreaming the idea of personal private revelations than any other book uh, or any other author uh, Henry Blackaby did yeah. in modern evangelicalism. I, I think so, Jim. I, I think experiencing God opened the floodgates to what we see now with every, not every, not only every prominent false teacher, but even the supposed good guys and the supposed good gals, the theoretically non-charismatic preachers and teachers, they all have their own books on how to hear the voice of God. And and what used to be relegated strictly to the charismatic churches is now mainstream and practically goes unquestioned in non-charismatic churches, at least theoretically Mm -hmm. non-charismatic churches. And uh, in this experiencing God, I remember my first exposure to it was in college at Mississippi State, and um, it was taught at our church, Southern Baptist Church. Uh, so this was mid-90s, my first exposure. I think that's right about the time it, it came out. I think early. it was published in 93, if memory serves me correctly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so kind of the uh, early and to mid-90s. Black would be a Southern Baptist? He is. Yeah, he is Southern Baptist from Canada. He's Southern Baptist. But uh, whereas 40-plus years ago, almost every non-charismatic evangelical would have understood that 
we talk to God in prayer, God talks to us in the Bible. That would have been unquestioned. That was the standard thought now. And I think, again, largely because of experiencing God and all the spinoffs and and dovetail resources that have come as a result of that, uh, now hardly anybody understands that. Charismatic or non-charismatic, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Hardly anybody understands that we talk to God in prayer. God talks to us in the Bible. That's just almost unheard of. Yeah, what, what uh, Blackaby does in the book is he tries to teach you how to hear from God, or at least how to see how God is speaking and giving personal, privatized, uh, private revelations regarding what God is doing in the world and how you can join him. So the gist of the book, as far as a formula goes, is uh, he, he borrows from Jesus in John chapter 5 when Jesus said, uh, all that the Father does, he shows me the Son, and I do all that the Father does. And, and Blackaby sees there a, a pattern that we are to follow, and the pattern being that we are to um, that we are to look and to see where God is at work and then join him there. And we are to sacrifice and obey and join in God's activity. And But as part of that, seeing how God works is also his, his belief that, that in order to show us where God is at work, God will speak to us through, um, let me see, Blackaby gives the, the, five. the five things, through the Holy Spirit, the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. Right. These are the five means by which God speaks to us. So, of course, the Bible is in there, but God speaks to us in prayer. He reveals or speaks to us, gives us private revelation through our circumstances, speaks to us through the words of uh, of those who are in the church, uh, other believers, and, of course, through the Holy Spirit. So I would have to add that my own um, my own experience with experiencing God, you, you, you were exposed in the mid-'90s. I was exposed to it in the late-'90s. Shortly after I became a pastor in 1996, I... I found the book. I, I got the book. I read through it. I enjoyed it and loved it so much that I took all of our elders through it. And as and uh, <laughs> this is a true story. And the three elders or four elders of our church at the time, um, this is before we were an elder led church. So the three elders and myself, I was I was in I was an elder, but I wasn't recognized as one. Right. Um, we went through this experiencing God book and the Bible study and really trying to see how God would lead us as a church and what He would do for us and. And though I had some concerns with a little bit of how he was using some of the scriptures, I, di- I didn't. They didn't put off the red flags like it would today. Obviously, with my understanding right. today, and I bought that book and gave it to a lot of folks as gifts. And of course, I regret that now. <laughs> anyway, here's here's what he says in the introduction. Uh, Blackaby writes, "Quote: Whatever your present circumstances may be, my earnest prayer is that somehow, as you read these pages, you will be able to hear when God is speaking to you." So that is the premise of the book. The book is written to teach you how to hear God's voice outside of Scripture. Okay, so um, I'll give you a couple quotes here from the book, Justin. Maybe you can just interact with these. Um, He writes, quote, The testimony of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God speaks to his people. In our day, God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He uses the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. No one of these methods of God speaking by itself is a clear indicator of God's directions. Close quote. When you take that statement at its face value, that no one of these is, say that again. No one one of these methods of God speaking is by itself a clear indicator of God's directions. So these five things, you you need more than, testimony of two or three witnesses, every word will be established, right? So you need more than just one source of authority. So you have these five, you've got the Holy Spirit, the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. No one of these is by itself a clear indicator of God's directions. 
and what do you a, do with that? Assume uh, shriek in horror. That's what I do with it. <laughs> because no one of these. Well, one of the these, one of the five, is the Bible, Scripture. So That's, the Bible is not enough in and of itself. Should not be taken as in and of itself authoritative and definitive as anything that God would say. That is that is a shocking statement. Yeah. And the fact that 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 kind of teaching, aside from you and I, would would reject the other four methods as a way of uh, God speaking directly in a direct quotable sentence outside of Scripture, uh, but the, the fact that a statement like that would fly in so far, so well under the radar of ninety nine point nine percent of evangelicals out there is a, is a it's a sad testimony yeah. to how. Biblically illiterate and theologically obtuse. Unfortunately, I don't mean to be ugly, but I mean that is that is a shocking statement. Yeah, uh, I, I okay. Well, we'll just move on. I, I was going to say something about it. I think you've covered that. Um, one of the premises that uh, that Blackaby lays out, and one of the things I think uh, appeals, I should say, to believers, is this notion that God desires a loving relationship with us. That God loves us, and He wants that relationship to be a two way relationship. And that God wants us to experience his love and to join him in his love. Um, and, and that this, this loving relationship is a personal one. And so we, of course, have to hear God if he's going to speak to us. Just as, just as I'm speaking to you now, what kind of a relationship is it if I speak to you but you never respond back to me? That, that would be what he would, right. what he would conjecture. Right. And that's prominent. That's, that's, uh, I've heard recently Robert Morris, who the, uh, he's the author of Frequency, how to hear the voice of God, another one of those how to hear the voice of God books that say the same thing that what kind of relationship is it? Well, if, if you have a friend and you're, you're the only one who does all the talking and your friend doesn't say anything, what kind of friendship, what kind of relationship is that? Well, that, that ignores the fact that God has done a lot of talking and and we have it in the pages of scripture, right? God is not silent. We have it in the pages of scripture, but this assumes that, See, Jim, this goes to what I say often in my teaching. The battle today is not theoretically so much over the inerrancy of Scripture. Any, any, theolo- any, any evangelical who would want to have any kind of a following would at least have to give lip service to the belief that God's Word is inerrant. Whether or not they believe it personally, it's another matter, but they'll at least have to give lip service to that belief. But where the battle is being fought today is God's word sufficient? Mm-hmm. And we're losing that battle mm-hmm. big time. In fact, you could say that battle has been lost yeah. in evangelical churches. I think the even, I think evangelicals have capitulated that ground entirely. They're not even willing to fight on that. Yeah, completely ceded it. So his his uh, his premise comes from John chapter five, where uh, Jesus is answering the Pharisees, and Jesus answered and said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, this is John five nineteen. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, uh, for whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. Um, so in in that passage there, Blackaby is saying that that Jesus is saying the father loves the son. And so the father reveals to Jesus what he is doing and invites Jesus to do those same works. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you answer that? What would you say for, about John 5 in that context there? 
Or do you want me to hit that hit that one? The Father shows Jesus and, and yeah, invites it, us to do the same work. Yeah, here's what Henry, here's what Blackaby says in his book. Quote, the key way that Jesus knew how to do the Father's will was to watch to see what the Father was doing. Jesus watched to see where the Father was at work. When he saw, he did what he saw the Father doing. For Jesus, the revelation of where the Father was working was his invitation to join the work. Is that what Jesus is describing in John chapter 5? That Jesus looked around and received extra biblical, the Father showed you, oh, oh, that's what the Father's doing. Okay, well, I'll go join the Father in that work. Right. No. In short, no, that is not, not at all, because that, well, that, I mean, that gives, that, that almost leads you into open theism, uh, that, mm-hmm. that when Jesus was incarnate on the earth, that he somehow ceased to be omniscient, and, and uh, that's, that's a, a, a gross misinterpretation of Philippians 2, the kenosis theory, but no, Jesus was not in this perpetual state of discovery. Uh, as as, <laughs> as Henry Blackaby would would uh, portray it, uh, Jesus submitted himself to the Father in role, but not in character, not in nature. He was compl- always has been, is now, always will be equal with the nature with the Father in his character and his nature. Uh, but he did submit himself in in uh, in role to the. He submitted himself to the to the leadership of the Father. But this is this is not a, a, a model. This is not a, a paradigm for us to follow. This we can't look at that and say, "Oh, well, Jesus was was discovering he didn't know, so he had to look to see what the Father was doing, so he would know what to do because he didn't know it." That that's not at all what the what the text is saying. Uh, Jesus is God incarnate, uh, the full revelation of God. That we have a perfect, sufficient record of that in the in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So one of the many problems with Blackaby is he, he, he takes things that are descriptive and makes them prescriptive yeah. for us. Yeah. And earlier in that same passage, Jesus said, my father is working until now and I myself am working. You see this whole statement that where, what Blackaby takes as a pattern for us to follow the will of God and to know the will of God is not Jesus describing to us how to know the will of God. It's Jesus describing his deity right. because he had just healed a man that was crippled at the pool of Bethesda and and they they critiqued him for doing that on the sabbath and jesus answer to them was the father works on the sabbath and i myself am working in other words i and the father are one that was jesus saying i have the right to work on the sabbath just as the father does we do the same work because we are of one substance and that's why they picked up stones to stone him in john 5:18 and then jesus answer to that was not to back up and say well you don't you misunderstood me his answer was to double down and say, yes, the Father is working, and I'm working, and what the Father does, I do. Being one in substance right. with him, he keeps the universe spinning on the Sabbath. I keep the universe spinning on the Sabbath. He upholds all things right. by the word of his power. Yeah, he's not describing a pattern for knowing and doing God's will. Right. And then that, of course, erases the entire premise of, of, of uh, Blackaby's book. Uh, Blackaby says at one point in uh, chapter 10, quote, One critical point to understanding and experiencing God is knowing clearly when God is speaking. If the Christian does not know when God is speaking, he is in trouble at the heart of his Christian life. Close quote. Th- that that is a, a, a shocking statement as well, because what Blackaby is saying is, if if you have trouble hearing God speak to you in a direct, quotable sense outside of Scripture, then you are in trouble at the heart of your Christian experience, your Christian life. You can't live out the Christian life unless you're hearing this supposed still small voice or God is speaking to you in your head. And I always want to ask people, 
what does God sound like? Is it is it like does he sound like James Earl Jones or Charlton Heston? What does he sound like? You know, but there there all these people talking about how they hear God speak to them. So if you're one of these poor knuckleheads and all you've got is the Bible and dwelt by the Holy Spirit who illumines the meaning of Scripture to you, if that's all you've got, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. According you to are in trouble. And just to be clear, ladies and gentlemen, the, he's, this was not just a this was not just a one-off for him. This was not just this happened to slow no. powder. He misphrased it because uh, later on he writes, quote, Does God really speak to his people in our day? Yes. Will he reveal to you where he is working when he wants to use you? Yes. God has not changed. He still speaks to his people. If you have trouble hearing God speak, you are in trouble at the very heart of your Christian experience, close quote. So he, he, for, for, for Blackaby, if you are not hearing God outside of Scripture speak to you, you can't possibly know how to do God's will because you can't, he, he can't reveal to you what he is doing right now in the moment, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your ministry, unless you're getting private revelation. You can't hope to possibly be obedient to his word, to what he is saying to you, unless he is speaking to you right now. Yeah, and and see this kind of a notion. This gave rise to all the other books. This gave rise to Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, about which you have written. And it's the same thing. You've got to. The Bible's not enough. The Bible is not sufficient. It's not enough. We've got to have more. And Jim, for all of these people that that would like Sarah Young when she says, "quote I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more." All these people who think. The Bible's not enough, that they've got to have something more. My question for them is, have you exhaustively plumbed <laughs> every verse from Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, was it ends on 22, 21? It, have you exhaustively plumbed the full depths of every verse in the Bible? And the answer to that is no, because nobody has. No. You haven't, I haven't, John MacArthur hasn't. Nobody has. So... If you don't, if you haven't fully plumbed the depths of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, then how can you possibly say the Bible's not enough? You don't even understand what you have right in front of you. Yeah. What do you mean it's not enough? You haven't, you don't understand what you've got in front of you. It's a nonsensical thing to but say. But it is hard work to plumb the depths of what is written. It's so much easier just to get private revelation. Right. It's yeah. a shortcut. It is a shortcut. It's it's a lazy way out. Right. We are to labor in the word. We are to rightly divide God's word of truth, and that's that's hard work. Um, but yet, that that's what we're commanded to do. So, but it's so much easier. Oh, if we can just get a word of knowledge, if if we can just hear a still small voice, God would just call us on the on the bat phone. As you said. <laughs> thanks for that image. I got that uh, in my mind right now. So yeah. this flashing red phone, God, <laughs> Jesus calling. Okay, so uh, let, let me give you a, another quote from Blackaby's book because in, in this book, it's all filled with formula. I, I love it. I love it when an author says, "I can't give you a formula for doing this, but here are the seven steps and the five <laughs> reasons and the three sub steps to this." And, and here's a whole chapter describing what not to do and ten things not to do and the seven things to do. You know, so Blackaby offers this to us again and again. He'll say, "This hearing God's voice is not a matter of a formula, but here's the formula." Right. So the formula is hearing God speak through these five sources, right? And none realize, of which are in, enough on their own. None of which yeah. are enough on their own. So that's part of the formula. Uh, following the pattern in John 5 is the formula. The sheep hear my voice is part of the formula. So here's what he writes. When God chose to speak to an individual in the Bible, I'm quoting, when God chose to speak to an individual in the Bible, a person had no doubt that it was God, and he knew what God was saying. 
When God speaks to you, you will be able to know he is the one speaking, and you will know clearly what he is saying to you. In John 10, 2-4 and 14, Jesus said, He who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. And then he says, in the same chapter, the key to knowing God's voice is not a formula. As God speaks and you respond, you will come to the point that you recognize his voice more and more clearly. Now, I noticed two, two things there that contradicted each other. When God speaks, you will know that it is him. There will mm-hmm. be no uncertainty whatsoever. The people in the Bible had no doubt that it was God speaking to them. But, as you respond, you will come to the point that you recognize his voice more and more clearly. It, it seems he has to be one of the You can't other. have it both ways. Right. It's like Bill Hyvel says in his book, uh, The Power of a Whisper. He says, the more you practice hearing God's voice, you can up your batting average. You know, <laughs> did you, you remember that? In yeah, book? You yeah, can up your batting average. But yet, in the people in the Bible, they they knew exactly who it was that was speaking, exactly what he what he said. I would agree with the latter of that. There's one exception to the first part of that. The, the Samuel, when he was a boy... He initially he heard God. He didn't know who it was at first, but he did hear. He did know exactly what God said. Because visions and dreams were infrequent in those days, Samuel says. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They were infrequent. And we have the well. I'm, I'm probably chasing a rabbit. We have this idea that God was speaking to all the people all the time, all throughout the days of the Bible. But that's not. No. That's not accurate, is right. it? No, it's not. There, there were there were times. There was 400 years between the Old and New Testament. God didn't say anything. Nothing at all. But even in the days in which he was speaking primarily to the prophets, to Moses, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, uh, even even then it was it was not a frequent thing. Correct? Yep. Yeah, no, that is correct. Um, he, he says under, under a subtitle called uh, Not a Formula, he says, A correct formula is not the way to hear God's voice either. If Moses had been around today, he would have been tempted to write a book about how to know God's voice in burning bushes. Then people all over our land would be out trying to find their burning bush. And so he's saying it's not what he means by it's not a formula is you can't take one pattern of Moses and how Moses knew to do the will of God and make that the template for everybody after that. But ironically, then Blackaby will come in and say, but the one template for Jesus and the Father that becomes the template for us, right? Right. That's his formula. Right. And so he'll say it's not a formula. You, you can't take the burning bush. You can't take the still small voice. You can't take this. You can't take that. There's not one template. But then he does lay out for us a formula by which we can hear God's voice. And we already talked about the five things, the Holy Spirit, prayer, circumstances, the church, and the Bible. Yeah. Um, so that becomes his formula. Right. And, and the John 10 passage, when Jesus talks about his sheep knowing his voice, that's not, Jesus is not talking about, He's not saying, okay, I'm going to tell you where to go have lunch today. Or I'm going to tell you what car to buy or what college to go to or what, who to marry. What color tie to wear. What color tie to wear. I mean, that, that, that's salvific. John 10 is, is, a, is a salvation passage. My sheep, his own, know his voice. They know the voice of the shepherd and they go to him. When the shepherd calls his sheep to himself salvifically, when that call becomes effectual, we, we use that term, the effectual calling, and the sheep go to the shepherd. That's conversion. Mm-hmm. That's the new birth. Mm-hmm. That's not God telling you what tie to wear, you know. And yet, that's ninety nine percent of evangelicals think my sheep know my voice. That's 
that's a still small voice somewhere inside your head. Yeah. John in John 10 Jesus is explaining to unbelievers why they are unbelievers. Right. You do not belong to me because you do not believe in me because you are not of my sheep. It's right. not you're not one of my sheep because you won't believe, but the reason you do not believe, the reason you the Pharisees who picked up stones to stone him at the end of John chapter 8, tried to kill him, called him a liar and a and a bastard child and illegitimate and all of that. The reason they did that, the reason they hated him is because they did not belong to him. And so what is it that distinguishes those who do not believe from those who do believe? It's that some are his sheep and those who are his sheep will hear his voice and come to him and he gives to them eternal life. It's right, salvific. And he is explaining why some of them are not believers. Right. And I can say confidently that Bill Hybels, Charles Stanley, um, the frequency guy. Who's the frequency Robert guy? Robert Morris. Robert Morris. Uh, Henry Blackaby. Uh, what's the other book that I've read recently? Oh, Dallas Willard, uh, Hearing God. Every last one of those guys abuses John chapter 10. Absolutely just, just abuses it in its context. It's horrible what they do to that passage. Right. And I would say, if you do not know how to handle John chapter 10, you are not capable of handling any passage of Scripture. Right. If you get that wrong, you are utterly disqualified. If you cannot see that it has nothing to do with personal revelations, yeah. it has everything to do with the salvation of Christ's sheep. If you can't get that out of the context, you have no business standing in a pulpit. It would be, it would, if you can't get John 10 right, that would be like the president of the Flat Earth Society working for NASA. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Right. You ought not to be there. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. All right, this has All been right. another episode of the Justin Peters program. We are not done with our, our review of Henry Blackaby, so I'm going to maybe take another stab at another program and uh, come back because we've got some more stuff to do with it uh, here at the end of the book. So, until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, are interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.